Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just before we start today's show, I should tell you about our new sponsor. It's going to be our sponsor for the next ooh, couple of months here on Mid-Atlantic. It's Flick. And what Flick do is they have an app. And it allows you, the listener, to chat with other listeners of this podcast. Quite simply, to go and download this app to your smartphone. Go onto the show notes of this episode. You'll see a link. Click on that link. It will then download an app to your phone, which then connects you to the world of Mid-Atlantic listeners. Now, not only can you chat, create your own topics, and respond to uh, people's comments about US and UK politics, we can also listen to the show. So it basically acts as an, an app for the podcast. So go on to the show notes, download the Flick app and enjoy. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who is back in the Bay Area from a rather interesting and uh, wonderful visit to Sarajevo good old bosnia but we'll talk about that later today we are joined by the pimp daddy that is doug levy in san francisco and the future celebrity love island contestant emma burnell in london say hello folks <laughs> hello. 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 You. am i grasping <laughs> <laughs> in a week that has seen england win the cricket world cup in one of the most dramatic games in cricket history we ask when can we send donald trump back to wherever he came from are we giving him the Tebbit test? Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I think I think we should. We think we should. And I think you're going to have to explain after 
our little bit of audio. What exactly the Tibbet test was, Emma? Okay. All right. This afternoon, we got a combination of two of President Trump's more indecent characteristics, his willingness to lie to the American people, and his tactic of using racist appeals to incite and excite his supporters. Send her back, they chanted. Now, you know the backstory. The president launched attacks on four Democratic congresswomen of color earlier this week, attacks that even Republican members of the House and Senate called racist. The president suggested that those four congresswomen should go back to the countries where they came from, though three of the four were born in the United States, and all four are American citizens. Last night, it all went one precipitous step further when the president and the crowd focused on Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who has made controversial comments herself, though... The president's lies about what she has said and demonizing of her prompted results last night that were so shocking, even some of the meekest and least critical Republicans in the House of Representatives voiced their discomfort, if not horror and revulsion. Just before we launch into things, um, Emma, why don't you tell us what the Tebbit test is or was? So uh, Tebbit was a, uh, he was a politician, He's uh, now Lord Tebbit. Um, he was a politician from a constituency just bordering mine um and he had this test of whether you whether immigrants were properly integrated or not and it was whether they supported the english or british depending on which tournament it was team rather than the team of their home or their parents home nation uh, and it was you know, basically sort of, it, it was trump style send them home racism mm. Though, 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 one thing I'll say about Tebbit and that test, it had the veneer of integrating other people into English-British society. It had the veneer of that because implicit was if you supported England or Scotland or wherever uh, you actually have ended up living, wherever you come from, then you were integrated and you were one of us. Yeah, it, uh, but that it, it was yes, it was a veneer. It was a really thin veneer. Uh, maybe Trump is Tebbit without the veneer. Mm. Right. And by the way, wasn't wasn't Norman Tebbit uh, MP for Basildon? No, he was MP for Chingford. Uh, oh, that was it, Chingford Strangler. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trust me, these things right. I know. My parents and my sister <laughs> all live in Chingford. <laughs> Fab. Now, uh, Donald and, Trump and, and Royford. Here's a quiz for yes. question for you. All right, go. Who now is the MP for Chingford? Oh, God. He's very famous. He has three names. He used to run the Tory party. And He's then run he the Tory party? He used to be the leader of the Tory party. Oh, yes. I know. Exactly. Ah, oh, early <laughs> 2000s, bl- uh, bald head. Yeah. He's an yep. idiot. <laughs> oh, God. Does, you're not narrowing would- down the Tories. <laughs> And he was voted in by the members and they, and that to change the rules because he because was this rogue. Yes. I'll, I'm going to put you out of your misery. It's Ian and Duncan Smith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I almost said Douglas Hume. Girl, I was getting the, the, at the dean there. But anyway, I knew exactly who it was. just couldn't remember his name. Well, he, he's an arse. He's an absolute he's arse. Absolute arse. And he, he went from running the Tories to then um, introducing Universal Credit, which has been a monumental success. And the explosion <laughs> will absolutely tell you that well we, we can it's funny i'll just um listening to andrew yang being interviewed by cara swisher and universal basic income 
um, doesn't sound too dissimilar to Universal uh, to to exactly that, but is so monumentally different. Oh, completely, hundred percent. Uh, uh, yeah, but but you know, on the face of it, uh, so it kind of sounds kind of exactly the same, and even the acronym is is, is very similar. <laughs> but anyway, we're getting sidetracked. We are. Right? Sorry, that's my fault. Uh, so yeah, it's completely your fault. <laughs> Slap wrists all round. Donald Trump tweeted on Sunday that a group of progressive women of colour, uh, they're critics of his, three of whom were born in the US, should go back to their home countries. And he then stood silent on Wednesday night at a trally in, I believe, South Carolina, where the crowd chanted for one of them to be deported. Um, why is Trump doing this? And is this a thought-out strategy or knee-jerk reflexive racism and populism? Doug, over to you. I think on its face... It's racism. There's kind of no other reasonable explanation for it. And unfortunately, it is very revealing and not surprising. Trump's strategy, if there is one, is to fire up his base. Basically, this is going to motivate white conservative Americans, probably not just conservatives, to vote for him and support him. And unfortunately, we are seeing it's working. Mm. All right, let's let's just hold fire on exactly who Trump's base is and whether the uh, the political maths, because we are English here, maths <laughs> not math, um, is actually going to work in his favour. Um, Emma, could you tell us who exactly the squad are? Who are these four congresswomen, and why are they so prominent in the Democratic Party? Uh, right. So, yes, the squad are Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is probably the most famous of them. Then you have Ayanna Presley. Uh, you have Rashida Tlaib. Uh, and then finally, you have Ilhan Omar. Now, uh, the first three were born in the United States, are United States uh, citizens of birth. They are all United States citizens uh, and they all have all the rights that United States citizens are entitled to. But the final one was born in Somalia and moved to the United States aged 10 as a refugee uh, and is the best example of the American dream uh, and the American story that I can think of. Um, but that clearly doesn't work for Donald Trump because she doesn't share, A, his politics, but more fundamentally important, his skin, his skin colour. Mm. Surely uh, the quintessential American dream in, in this regard, if you're an immigrant, is if you end up either running a software company, become a multi-billionaire, or um, you go and fight for the American military and die heroically on a foreign field, and then you'd be lionized. Anything in between, and uh, you're not really that American, are you? Am well, I being uh, overly cynical? <laughs> Apparently a lifetime of uh, public service and uh, getting elected to one of the highest uh, offices in the land is not enough. And not enough patriotism for some people. Wanting to serve your country in, in the House of Representatives is not patriotic enough. It'd be much better if you just rip people off in shoddy land deals. And just to be fair, to, to be clear, um, Trump does not recognize the military members who are immigrants mm. either. Yeah, look at, look at what happened that during the campaign. Our family. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So, mm -hmm. all right. So, um, lock her up, send her back. How much of this, Doug, is theatre and how much of this is real crowd-baiting politics? I think it's 100% crowd-baiting politics. And sadly, 
I think this is a case where Trump knows exactly what he's doing. He's able to. Does he? Does he? It's surely just a little bit of theater. It gets everybody got kind of like pumped up. Uh, he's basically going to run out and go vote for him. But they don't really believe that, they, you know, that they're really going to. They were never going to really lock up Hillary Clinton. Were they're not going to really send her back. Who's going to send her back? This is just a little bit of theater. It's a little bit of uh, uh, sizzle. Um, uh, just to get people all excited to go away from that rally and think, I know Donald Trump, he gets my pulse racing. I'll go vote for him. I think that there are quite a few people who don't recognize how dangerous this is. Uh, And Representative Omar has had to take extraordinary security precautions from almost her first day in office because of the inaccurate, I mean, literally false claims about her perpetuated primarily on Fox News and amplified by the president. The messages that he's been conveying since last weekend include repeated false assertions that she has supported terrorism. Very much the opposite. Uh, Somehow, uh, AOC, from you know, whose heritage is from uh, Puerto Rico, is un-American. These are so counter to what fundamental American values are. Yet, over and over again, we are hearing from the people who support the president that are identifying with this. Basically, we've got a lot of folks who say, "I've got what I want." Anybody who doesn't look like me is trying to take it away from me. Therefore, I can't extend the freedoms that I have to other citizens. But Doug, you, know, we, we, um, you, you Americans talk about American values all the time, um, that anyone can come and, you know, plow the land, till the field, whatever the heck the expression is. We don't is. mean it. Yeah, exactly. Isn't this in the, you know, the good old-fashioned American tradition of American nativism? Then it is an American tradition. Here are uh, a bunch of people who fundamentally aren't white, aren't European in terms of their descent. So there are other, and this is in the time-honoured American tradition of nativism. So this is an American tradition. Um, So it's all right and good and proper. I don't think there's anything right and good and proper about it. I think it might be at least philosophically different if there were actual facts behind the claims. So, for example, if all four of these members of Congress really were born somewhere else and achieved the American dream, that would at least be a factual distinction between other people who are born here. Now, our Constitution says they are citizens. That's equal. So I'm not I'm not supporting that distinction. Um, The thing is that, that Trump is getting people to believe things that are false about these people, that they are from somewhere else. They're every bit as American as Trump is. And in fact, don't forget. But they're not, though. But, but, but Doug, they're not because they're hyphenated Americans. And it's something which uh, when I did my intelligence speech conference uh, two weeks ago in New York, we had, um, a, we had a session about American identity. And it's always irked to me uh, that fundamentally there is no such thing as an english american they're just american however there are um as you then geographically go out further from from the english base 
and then you get hyphenated Americans. So there are Italian Americans, uh, but there aren't really any Dutch Americans or German Americans per se. There are, but there aren't. Uh, but uh, black people, people of color, need to qualify their American uh, identity by having um, another label. Oh, you are African American. Okay, yeah, you are American type of thing. So, so, that, so it, it is lesser. So, um, as much as people will say that these people, these these women, these Congress women, are American, and yes, legally they are written into their label as being women of color and being Somali American, is to say that they are American-ish as opposed to uh, fully embraced and uh, identify. In, in the culture as being totally American. But moving on from that, right, um, Emma, why doesn't Trump want to reach out to Americans outside of his base? Why isn't he talking about the economy? Why isn't he talking about a sunny upland, an uplit future? Um, he has some level of accomplishments in his first term. Um, why isn't he trying to speak to all Americans? Why does he just want to... Uh, double down on his uh, 2016 coalition in 2020? So I think there are two things that we need to establish here. First of all, um, there is Trump the man who is mm -hmm. chaotic, not that bright, totally a racist. Uh, and then there is Trump oh, the not wildest. a racist bone in his body, come on. Well, come nobody on. has racist bones. We have racist minds. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely got a racist brain no yeah. <laughs> yeah my bane my bones can do what they want it's my mind that has issues and everybody's <laughs> does and it, it the more you question your own mind the better you are at recognizing that and i think mm. the problem with trump is he's never ever questioned his own mind at all ever um but coming away from that there is also trumpism the strategy and i think mm. that when we have these is he just going off on one or is it a wider strategic question i think we're missing the connection between the two which is the people with the wider strategic perspective have found the best candidate for that perspective so mm -hmm. he is completely authentic when he goes off on one that is who he is that is what he believes it's the Maya Angelou thing when someone tells you who they are believe them um i think that's Maya Angelou. i'm gonna get that wrong but i think it is um but the point is, the, st the strategists have said, we believe that we can win by doing two things, firing up our base in the best way possible, and that is who Trump is there for, and Trump is there to fire up our base and to get that 40% of America who really believe in all this stuff, who are, you know, um, the people behind things like white flight, uh, the people who just don't want to integrate, and I'm not talking about the immigrants there, um, and suppressing the Democratic vote. Now, they will suppress the Democratic vote in many different ways, and we've seen that in various things that have happened. You know, many, many, many court cases going through about voting rights, um, amendments to the Voting Rights Act that have declawed it largely. Um, if you look at what happened to Stacey Abrahams in Georgia, you know, absolutely astonishing electoral practices that you just think, oh my God, if that were happening in a an emerging country, you would be like, well, that's not democratic. But because it's America, the great democracy, no one is willing to turn around and go, 
dude, that's not democratic. That doesn't work. You know, having a Supreme Court that is so partisan is not actually democratic. Having everything decided through that Supreme Court is not democratic. Um, you know, the Constitution of the United States as it stands is quite weak in terms of some uh, d- democratic areas. I'm sorry, I know that will upset 99.9% of your listeners. Um, but it's true. Democracy and constitutional law quite often clash. Um, but the point is that this, this wider strategy have decided that the thing they need to do is gin up the base and suppress the op- opposition. And what you're seeing here is a perfect storm of both of those things. So you've got Trump absolutely 100% firing up the guns of the things that really motivate that, that 40%, the Fox viewers, while at the same time tying the Democratic Party to one particular strand of politics of the Democratic Party that is on its more left-wing edge. So that those people who are more centrist voters – um, independent voters, people who don't really identify as a Democratic or Republican, probably would identify as pro-capitalism, but maybe with some caveats. If they see the Democrats as purely defined by the squad, the the more left-wing, I mean, I totally identify with them, but I'm not running for office or in America, um, then that will depress that voter base and that's that's the entire strategy it's really as simple as that it's a seesaw well there's something else happening here though that's really important um all week the u.s media has been a hundred percent captivated by is trump a racist which shouldn't even be a question and who are these four members of congress maybe that's a good thing but that's what people are focusing on meanwhile nobody is paying attention to the policy changes that they've been sneaking through. So literally every day the administration puts forward new rules that basically are backtracking all the things that we've done for consumer, environmental, and just good good running of things over the years. Um, I mean, the extraordinary curtailment of employer safety rules, consumer protection, Uh, All the things that have taken decades to refine so that they work are literally being wiped out. Um, The environmental rules are probably the most dramatic. And yet again, another another thing happened this week. Also, in the Justice Department, we are seeing a very, very heavy thumb on the scale of justice um, with no charges being filed against people who have obviously done things that warrant scrutiny. Yeah. But it's not happening. Uh, This is not the way democracy is supposed to work. One more thing. The Trump administration has many senior officials who have overtly violated well-established, long-standing laws such as the Hatch Act, which prevents federal government employees, except for the president, from doing political campaigning on government time. And in fact, some of that applies to the president too. Um, We've now got presidential appointees openly saying, I don't care about the law, I'm going to do it. And they're getting away with it because people are focusing on this craziness about whether he's racist or not. 
that's not as important compared to whether we are upholding the laws. Mm. Um, bravo, uh, Emma, for actually uh, answering my next question uh, with, with, with your answer there. And uh, uh, props to you, Mr. Doug, Mr. Pimp Daddy, for um, <laughs> reminding us. I really think that's other... not very fair on Doug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll take Love think- Island contestant any day of the week, but I think calling him a man that that, that basically uh, benefits from prostitution is a little unfair on anyone. <laughs> I'm seeing it so, somewhat. Thank funny. you. I appreciate that defence. <laughs> <laughs> so, ju- just to just to recap, and um, thank you for the Hatch Act and, and, and various other uh, bits of uh, uh, to, to your answer there, Doug. But um, so. Trump's strategy is to paint the Democrats to be um, extreme and and to hope that um, the uh, the Democratic base gets so fired up in the presidential uh, election cycle that the uh, the Democrats will um, install somebody to be their presidential nominee who is going to be as unpopular with moderate Americans as Hillary Clinton uh, was. Um, that's fundamentally what you said, Emma. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Right now, by ensuring that white working class voters without a college degree show up at the polls, isn't Trump just enthusing his detractors in equal measure as he did in the 2018 midterm elections? That's what they seem to prove anyway. Uh, Turnout from Trump supporters was down and the Republican Party suffered record losses. Emma, um, that's those those are the facts. So he's going to lose. This strategy is going to lose, isn't it? It could lose. Uh, they've doubled down on a strategy that won in 2016 and lost in 2018. So at the moment, it's 50-50. Um, there are things in their favour. Incumbency is a massive, massive factor. Um, the economy is going well. Um, so while Trump has record approval lows for a, a president with a soaring economy, it is still a factor in his favor and you may find people who just don't want to vote against that um there are enough people who don't like him who think he's a prat a racist a nasty guy but they really like um his position on judges or tax cuts um so they may you know the never trumpers may find their well maybe a little bit trumper um so it's yeah there are there are factors that prove it won't work there are factors that prove it will um a lot of it will depend on not just who the democrats nominate because i think they could nominate let's take two ends of the extreme biden or warren for example mm-hmm. um what matters is the narrative that then builds up around them and how well the Democrats managed to counter Trump's attempts to categorize them. Because mm-hmm. what Trump uh, think- is, is the producer of every TV show on the planet. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. He's, you know, his inflammatory tweets are timed perfectly to dominate the headlines and distract from what's really going on and it's not like we don't have other things happening, you know, potentially a hot war in the Middle East. Who knows what North Korea is doing? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we should be paying attention to and we're not. In my recent conversations and travels around the country, I have been kind of stunned and 
quite frankly, depressed when I encounter people who say something along the lines of, yeah, I really don't like the way that Trump speaks, but, you know, the economy's rolling along great and I don't want to change the direction. Mm -hmm. Even though these people are not paying attention to the fact that the economic policies could very well be hurting them, uh, we're running into a complete uh, train wreck on healthcare. Mm -hmm. The, 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 The casualties are mounting. And people are not really looking at what's in their best interest in the long run. But that's Americans. We're selfish. I I don't think it's just selfish. I think it's short-sighted. Because if you were genuinely being selfish, you would look after yourself for the next 20 years rather than the next 20 minutes. Great point. So it's it's sort of short-sighted selfish. Selfish, you know, I want what I want now – even if it condemns the country and my children. Uh, that, that, that's absolutely true. But to be fair to Americans, I think this is um, an Anglo-Saxon disease. Oh, I yeah. It's of, not like we're any better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You wouldn't have uh, crazy things like Brexit if uh, Britain, uh, people... But we're about to elect Donald Trump of our own. But you still have a queen... Yeah, but she's, I mean, I don't think we should still have a queen. <laughs> and leave, also, she has no power. You leave the queen out of it. What's wrong with our Lizzie? Well, Love I'm a, a Republican, but with a small R. <laughs> you know what? You're coming off this podcast <laughs> as, of, uh, as of next week, I tell you. Can't have a Republican on here. Um, Doug, um, I don't know what you mean by, but you, but you have a queen. But anyway, on that note, why don't we uh, fly over the Atlantic? To, to London, to Westminster in particular, and try and discuss what the bejesus has been going on in the last two weeks in the mother of all parliaments. <laughs> all right, here's a little bit of audio, then I come back and say, where's my question gone? <laughs> where's my <me> jumper? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Doug, you won't get that, but you'll remember that reference, Royfield. <laughs> you know what, I don't. Do you know? Oh, my God, the no. Sultans of Ping FC, where's my jumper? Oh, best single of the like, 90s uh you know what we will listen to very different music in the 90s, <laughs> and to be honest that, i'm not sure not... i do believe that is the best single of the 90s although i do love it to bits mm-hmm. i will send you a link it is the strangest single of the 90s certainly where's me jumper where's me jumper where's me jumper where's me jumper Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For the last month, both Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson have been touring the country, telling the party faithful that they are willing to leave the EU with no Deal. Boris Johnson not ruling out suspending Parliament to make that happen. But today, both were faced with an uncomfortable truth. No matter what happens in this leadership race, the numbers in Parliament have not changed. There is no majority for anything. The numbers are not on their side. And today's today, MPs told them that loud and clear in one vote. The eyes to the right, 315. The nose to the left, 274. That's the sound of life becoming a lot trickier for Boris Johnson if he becomes the next Prime Minister. Throughout the leadership race, he's refused to rule out suspending Parliament to force through a no-deal Brexit. MPs today might just have blocked it, thanks to an amendment by this former Tory minister. If we felt under the weight of any pressure up to now, I would venture to suggest to the House it will be as of nothing in the days leading up to October the 31st. The amendment means if the next Prime Minister tries to shut down Parliament, MPs would still be able to return for a debate. British MPs have backed a bid to stop the new Prime Minister from suspending Parliament to force through a no-deal Brexit. Emma, what exactly happened in Parliament yesterday? Um, It's really hard to say. So... Basically, what they voted on stops Johnson from being able to prorogue Parliament. Um, For those who don't know, proroguing is basically saying, we're not coming back until I've made this decision and then you can't vote me out because I won't hold sessions. So it's like the opposite of lame duck. Um, So when you have a lame duck session, you know, you can have votes even though those people have been voted out of office. What that he was threatening to do was simply extend Parliament's summer holiday until after the end of October, which is the deadline for Brexit. So they couldn't then vote, Have they couldn't officially hold a vote to stop him going mm-hmm. for a no-deal Brexit. So they voted to stop that uh, and to make sure that they come back in, in September and October, uh, apart from the party conference season. Um, so... And a lot of Tories voted for it. Uh, I think 17 Conservatives voted in favour of it and 30 of them uh, abstained. And that included cabinet ministers, um, you know, ministers, really senior Tories. So people that 
have normally been loyalists. There were people who voted in favour of that who have never rebelled in their lives uh, and have been in Parliament for 20-odd years. So it was, a, it was a big deal in terms of the politics. It wasn't a huge deal. It didn't do an awful lot, really, in terms of moving the Brexit conversation in any particular direction. Is this um, a marker, uh, a parliamentary marker, against the future Johnson uh, premiership, um, Emma? Um, should Johnson be worried? Does this show you potentially how weak he's actually going to be as prime minister? Uh, yes, ultimately. It, it was his party saying to him, um, we don't like you. We're accepting you. We voted for you. Um, to be fair, parts of his party, parts of his parliament. Part, uh, his, his, the, the members love him to a large extent, and we're going to see how much a large extent on Tuesday next week. Mm. Um, the parliamentary parties, a small portion of them like him, a larger portion of them, an even smaller portion of them trust him, uh, a larger portion accept that he may be their best bet. Um that you had him so inevitable from round one in the voting and yet there were still that many people willing to vote against him in round five shows you just how trusted he is not by the, by, by the parliamentary party. Um, and that's significant. Um, so they were basically saying, look, we let you get through to the members, which meant we knew we were letting you get elected to be leader, but that doesn't mean you get free reign. Uh, Doug, I got the feeling I've asked this question before. I really do. And it, it does feel somewhat circular when we try and analyse specifically Brexit within the UK because things just do seem to just be going round and round in, in a circle as, as dates come and go when we're supposed to either crash out or we get extended dates of uh, membership of the EU. But um, And I believe I've asked you this before. Can't remember exactly what you said, uh, but um, in the sake, uh, in the case of uh, repeating a question, and just to have a historical perspective on this, has there ever been a time in American history where a president has threatened to close down Congress to enact legislation? I'm not sure if there's, there's ever been an overt threat like that, but there certainly have been a number of efforts to stymie Congress or trip it up. Um, to some extent, that's how we wound up with the, uh, the changes in the government after, uh, FDR. Um, isn't that what the War Powers Act came from? Well, yes. So, uh, the Vietnam War is actually a, a great example. Uh, the Vietnam War was presidential use of the military power without congressional authority simply mm -hmm. by not declaring it a war. Yeah. And that unfortunately has has worked um, in the wake of that. The Congress enacted the War Powers Act, which theoretically limits the president's ability to use the military without congressional authority. And look at what the current administration is doing with regards to that. It basically doesn't care. Yeah. Mm. Uh Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn has said that the vote was an important victory to prevent the Tories from suspending Parliament to force through a disastrous no deal. Um, Emma, what is the Labour Party's 
ever-evolving position on Brexit at the moment. It's uh, it's Friday, so what <laughs> are they saying today? When are you publishing? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Okay, so Labour's current position, as I understand it, and it is complicated, Labour is 100% committed to a second referendum in any circumstances. So whatever happens, Labour believes that there should be another vote. Now, Mm -hmm. if there is another vote on Theresa May's deal or any mm-hmm. Tory Brexit deal, any deal negotiated by the Tories, Labour will, in that referendum, support Remain. If there's a general election and Labour become the largest party or win outright, and then are able to take up new negotiations, they will then negotiate a deal of their own. They will then decide internally whether to campaign and uh, you can hear the pain in my voice as I try to describe Mm -hmm. the logic of this position to campaign for the deal they've negotiated or to remain in the EU and that is where we are currently at Mm. I don't know if that makes sense to you it doesn't make an awful lot of sense to me but that is literally the position uh, Doug, um, October the 31st is uh, rapidly approaching. Are we going to have uh, yet another extension or are we going to have a general election uh, preceding this when uh, Boris Johnson realises that it isn't, um, uh, we're going to leave by hell or high water? Um, what What do you see the next three months as, as panning out? How do you see, sorry, how do you see the next three months panning out in UK politics? I wish I had a better crystal ball, but the best guess that I can make from here is that it's going to be very chaotic, probably even more chaotic than it has been under Theresa May. It is hard for me to see a scenario that leads to another extension. My sense is that everybody, and increasingly so the folks on the other side of the EU, are done with this. The new EU president did just make a speech saying she would accept an extension for reasonable reasons. Hmm. I mean, I, uh, whether we'd ask for one. Well, um, that the is the thing. We have to hear anything from Boris Johnson or anybody else for that matter. Um, that substantially changes anything. So I think reasonable reasons would have to include a general election, basically. They would extend Mm. past a general election. I'm not sure that it's, or a second referendum, anything other than those two things, I'm not sure they would go for it. If there's going to be another general election, why not do a second referendum? Well, I suspect we'll have a second, what we'll have in the end will be a general election run as a proxy second referendum, is my suspicion. I I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think we should have a little bit of both. But uh, if you end up with the Labour Party running on a Remain manifesto and the Tory Party running on a hard Brexit manifesto, then that essentially is a second referendum. What I'm struggling with is given what we've seen over these 
two plus years now, three years, um, what result would there be if Remain somehow wins? Well, that that is the question. Um, it doesn't go away. None of this goes away if we win a narrow margin the other way. I mean, we revoke Article 50, sure, but the conversation keeps going. And things are highly or heavily damaged. And that's kind of what's happening in the United States. It doesn't matter to some extent who actually wins the next U.S. presidential election. The damage is being done, and it may have only taken two years to break everything. It's not going to be fixable. Yeah. No, absolutely. That we are, we have 10 years worth of damage that has been done either way. People like myself who are arguing, arguing for a second uh, referendum, arguing to remain, are saying, we know we've got 10 years of damage to clean up, but we'd rather do it with an economy that isn't tanking. Do you think any of the businesses will come back? I think businesses want to be in the UK for a wide variety of structural and infrastructure reasons, uh, language reasons, not least. Most business, most business happens in English. Um, there are good reasons why they were here in the first place. Um, some of them will come back, some of them won't, but certainly a lot more of them will go if we leave and an awful lot more of them will go if we leave with no deal. I kind of disagree. Um with the, with the one thing that the pair of you actually said, which is that um, the two situations are comparable between Trump and then with, with Brexit. I think it's very easy, um, very easy is the wrong thing to say. I think it's easy uh, to see Trump as a reflexive last wag of a white identitarian American expression that through a quirk of the American electoral system, somebody with a minority of votes actually won the presidency. And this is as America is demographically changing. You had um, the first non-white president. Um, it, it, it then somewhat follows in terms of political science that um, Americans that felt threatened by him were galvanized to, to vote and you have the last wag of this um, old-fashioned demographic, demographic, demographic white identitarianism um, in America. Everything goes against those trends in in, in the long run, and the fact that you have this um, rainbow coalition of a party, the Democratic Party, ra ranged against him. Um, is kind of evidence of the changing face of America. Brexit is a decision which, if we do leave the EU, we can't just join it again in four years' time. Oh, certainly not with the same deal we have now. Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So the two things are very different in terms of immediate and long-term consequence. They're very different. You know, Trump could be gone, in, in 18 months. Yes, there will be a legacy of disaffected um, Trump supporters and what they feel America has become, but Trump will be gone and America will be able to start to heal. The problem is with Brexit that we didn't even realise we had these fissures in the country. We didn't. 
we had no idea that British politics could become so febrile, could become so poisonous. We always, I always prided British politics compared to American politics as being somewhat informed, intelligent, urbane. And we have, and, and kind of free from ideology um, to, to, to a large degree. And that's proven to be utter bunkum, that we have politicians who are willing to drive the country off a cliff economically, which I never thought would ever be uh, the case in British politics. I never, ever thought. I, I, I stopped up cold and, and, and dead. Wasn't it always well, told that those people would be on the left? Yes, exactly. That it was always the Conservatives, were, which were the pragmatic party, that um, say, they would always safeguard the interests of business and, and commerce first. Well, we've got the I, same kind of flip on this side. Um, you know, the Democrats right now are the ones that are trying to uphold laws, yeah. and the Republicans are sanctioning open corruption, which is kind of scary. But here's, here's the part that is similar. Um, Regardless of the specific policies, um, what the Trump administration is succeeding in doing is breaking down adherence to ethics rules and the fundamental changes they're doing in the way government runs is not going to go away maybe ever. Um, In very short order, Trump has driven out thousands of professional staff members from every government agency, all the people that actually make informed decisions about land management, um, consumer protection, um, financial compliance, um, law enforcement. While at the same time, absolutely revealing the cracks in constitutional law, and the law that has allowed that, you know, everything, a coach and horses to be driven through norms. And on top of that, the Senate has pushed through more judges, I think, than under any other president. So now the courts are essentially set up to do nothing about this. For decades. This is not going to get fixed under a new president. Yeah. This is a fundamental perhaps permanent shift in the way American government operates. And it is very bad. Okay. All right. So you, t- you told me that the two are somewhat analogous, but um, it's my show. So I'm going to say, <laughs> no, they're not. They're quite different. Just to, just to end up, just to end up, going to end up with you, Emma. Um, what have we learned about the next prime minister from the Tory party hustings? Um, were they exciting? Were they revelatory? Were they interesting? How did the media cover them? Um, give us your take. But were they exciting? No, not really. Um, they were the show that we were expecting. You had Jeremy Hunt being a little dull. You had Boris being a lying fantasist. Uh, I mean, literally just the hustings, the last hustings, he pulled out mm-hmm. a kipper um, and told all these things I, about I, how I, it... I beg your pardon. An actual fish, Yes. Um, and said, oh, this has to now be transported around the country with X, Y, and Z, and it's all European laws. And it was, to put no too fine a point on it, and I hope I'm allowed to use this word on your podcast, pure and utter bollocks. 
it was complete bollocks. It was bollocks from soup to nuts. Um, yeah, he was lying. He was actually lying. And he must have known he was lying too. Um, so he's gone right back to the start of his career as a journalist in Brussels, where he set up this atmosphere by telling, writing absolute nonsense stories about straight bananas. You know, he, he and the Telegraph, as their Brussels correspondent for many years, set a lot of this atmosphere up. You know, he is, he is Trumpian. He is a demagogue. He has, no one knows who Boris really is. Like, we know he's got some bad sides to him. We know he's got some charming sides to him. But I don't know what he believes. I really don't. I really don't know what he believes. I know what he's willing to do to advance his own cause. I just don't know what he believes in. And that's really frightening. Well, he believes that he that he should be the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. That's the one thing. And I know, and I watch. think that the worst part is that nobody who believes that should actually get the job. Uh, believes that and only that, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, how diminished do you think he has been in this whole process, um, Emma? I, I, I was always, I've been really struck when I've actually seen him, uh, whether it was on the debate stage, that actually is quite leaden-footed. Mm. I cannot see how he's going to survive a decent, robust PMQs. I just don't see it at all. Well, he's not, he's not smart on his feet. Um, he delivers great one-lines, and he's a great after-dinner speaker, and he is somewhat comedic, but he's not sharp on his feet. He can't think on the spot. Um, I think that this whole process has really showed up how disastrous he's going to be visually as a leader. Um, maybe he has great clubbable behind-the-scenes skills that he can go and twist arms and he can have a jolly drink with, with MPs and then get them around to his point of view. And, 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 I, and I sincerely believe that is what, one of his strengths, that people seem to like him personally. You know? um, so so in you know in the palace of westminster in the bars may maybe that's where his strength will be but in terms of televisually being being the leader of the united kingdom and combating a, a somewhat half decent leader of the opposition he's going to fail isn't it i mean I, okay first of all he's lucky in his current opponent who is also not that quick on his feet in terms of pmqs so uh, in debates and PMQs, they both have very different styles and it would be a matter of both of them projecting their styles to the country rather than a parry of wits between two people of similar styles. Um, I'm going to tell you two stories about Boris Johnson that I think really illuminate everything you need to know about him. The first uh, was on today's Pop Bitch, so I'm giving them full credit. Um the very famous photograph of him as mayor dangling from a zip wire, stuck on the zip wire. Everyone's seen it. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows the story. Oh, Boris got stuck on a zip wire and then they ended up chanting, Boris, Boris. Women went down that same zip wire a few hours later and she was a bit nervous and she said to the guys, oh God, I hope I don't get stuck like Boris. And they rolled their eyes and they said, no one gets stuck. No one gets stuck. If he'd actually been stuck... Health and safety laws would have forced us to dismantle this thing immediately. We'd have to have stopped taking any customers today. He asked us to do it. He asked us to do it. Okay. So 
Boris mm. is the king of the setup moment. Always has been. Most of the famous moments in Boris's career where he's messed up have been Boris initiated setups. The second story is a personal one. Uh, way back in 2004, I worked for a project called uh, The Power Inquiry, which was about um, voting reform, etc., etc., etc. And we went and interviewed Boris, who at the time was the editor of The Spectator, but was a sort of well-established political figure. And we were looking to get um, sample voices for, I'm embarrassed to say, I think a CD project. It was a terrible mm-hmm. idea. But here's the point of the story. So my very important and charismatic boss took me along as a very junior member of staff to help to record this. And she had to leave the room for five minutes and then she went to the bathroom or something. And so Boris was just stuck with me, who was a chubby, not particularly socially apt, 28-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it was like the lights in his eyes went out. There was nothing there. He just could not be bothered to turn it on for me, to talk to me in any interesting way. He had no interest in me as a human being at all. And that's the real Boris. He's He had no idea that I would go on to be a journalist. He had no care that I was a human being who was doing a thing that he was supposedly interested in. It's just all about his own self-promotion. And I have never seen, and, and he had no idea that inside that chubby and socially inept little girl was actually quite a keen social observer. And he had no idea how well I could see him in that moment. Mm. That and that is who we're about to elect prime minister. It's that point of the show where I just say, folks, tell us about something, anything which can lift the gloom, because we've fed up a gloom. We've got, we've got enough of it in our regular news media, so we want to uplift the human spirit. We want to show us, uh, we want to show our fellow man uh, that, you know what, things will be better in the end. So, Doug, over to you. It's your time to shine, sir. Despite the efforts of the current political leadership to stymie legitimate science, um, scientists, for the most part, are still doing their thing. Uh, mm-hmm. In addition to uh, celebrating the 50th anniversary of walking on the moon um, this week, which obviously is huge, um, there's new information coming from science. And uh a study that I'm particularly pleased to see. Is, There's more um, things that science has yet to discover and to tell us. I thought they did all that. <laughs> if you want to save your money and not know Anything. why things are happening, whatever. <laughs> um, I favor science because long-term science is actually how we are able to live better lives, keep people healthier. Um, some new research uh, was published recently that um, followed a large number of people for a very long time and determined that the people least likely to develop Alzheimer's disease are people who essentially lived what we consider to be a healthy lifestyle, a healthy diet, regular exercise, not too much alcohol, not smoking, and keeping your mind active. Now, a lot of this stuff we've known for years, but it's great to have actual data 
that backs up the results when you do these things. That's good news. Um, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just go back and analyze what you said. This is what I heard you say. Blah, 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 blah. Alcohol, not that bad. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and that's this is what the scientists are telling us, that alcohol is kind of all right. Uh, no, no, wait. Alcohol and Love Island and uh, the occasional fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I must admit, I, um, I've, I've been somewhat taken with a lot of these uh, kind of programs and tributes to uh, 50 years of the uh, Apollo landing. And that was a massive part of my childhood. I was born in 1968, but the, the shadow of that moon landing was all the way through through the 70s uh, for, for kids and, well, for kids, for, for society, for the world that... Um, we had actually done America had actually done such a thing that men had actually stepped foot on another celestial body and it's one of the things which I, I've kind of remarked kind of realized in the, in the last I don't know five five or so years that the utopian dream of space and space travel is something which has actually been lost mm. in um, in the late 20th in the very late 20th century first uh, and, the, and the 21st century and the future, if you're a little kid in the 70s and the 80s, the future was all about space, all about, you know, rockets and colonies on Mars. And, and it isn't. And I, and I kind of think that we've kind of lost something. And dare I say, the fact that Trump is talking about potentially going back into space, I actually quite applaud because it, it just just reminds me of, of that time. But anyway, Emma, over to you, Mrs. So I'm going to talk about something that is completely non-political, but it's something I absolutely adore. Um, and it's having an amazing boom, uh, certainly in London and I know in New York, but I think it's actually getting out further than that. And that's really important. And that's immersive mm -hmm. theatre. Um, I don't know if either of you have ever done immersive theatre, but it is an absolute passion of mine. I write a blog about it called SoakedInDreams.com. Um, and it's a type of theatre where instead of sitting in an audience and having people perform a story for you, you get involved and you make decisions and you make choices and that affects the drama and it affects the outcome. Um, I've seen immersive theatre done about historical murders. Uh, in fact, that's a piece I saw last night. Absolutely amazing. Um, I've seen pieces that are a slightly alternative World War II. Uh, I am hoping to help a company bring a peace to Labour Party conference based on the last days of the 1979 Labour government, which is just one of the most fun evenings I've ever had, <laughs> right, trying to replay that and working out all the difficulties and all the possibilities. And it's just an extraordinary way of exploring your mind uh, and exploring your interests through um a safe theatre experience and it can be sometimes it can be very sensual so one of the first times I ever did it um, was a thing called Then She Fell in New York and mm -hmm. I was one year divorced and I'd gone to New York as my hey <laughs> I'm single now holiday and I was sat in this this room with this guy dressed as the white rabbit who was gorgeous and I was being very British about it and I was like could not look him in the eye and it was just an incredible, there was no touching, there was nothing inappropriate happened. 
but it was just an amazing connection with another human being on this incredible level. And immersive theatre gives you a way of being part of the action, being part of the performance and exploring concepts and ideas in the way that actors have had traditionally the space to do for so long, whilst also giving actors and creatives a whole new area to explore in terms of their interaction with audiences. So it's a new art, it's it's not, not a new art form, but it's an evolving art form that I think is really important. And particularly in these times where everyone is so certain, I think exploration is vital. And so I am saying, Go and see a piece of immersive theatre if you can. Goodness. You're firing today. You are. (laughs) Well well done. Well done. Um, I've had a somewhat really um, interesting last couple of weeks. Um, I went to New York for a couple of days at a conference, then went to Dubrovnik, which was amazingly beautiful. It is King's Landing. That's where Game of Thrones was shot and then took a bus from Dubrovnik to Sarajevo in Bosnia. And I adored Sarajevo. And and it's, have you ever been, Emma? I haven't, but it looked fabulous at the last Eurovision. <laughs> I've only gotten as far as it's... Dubrovnik, which is spectacular. So... There's so many things um, on that bus journey that actually what you do is you travel from Western Europe and then four hours later, you're in the Balkans. Um, Dubrovnik, um, geographically, might, might be the Balkans, but economically and culturally, it's, it's Western Europe. You absolutely cross a divide. And the, the, the other kind of interesting thing is that you look at a map of Croatia and it's like a reversed seven on that long kind of like spine that juts down Dubrovnik is right there on on the south but there is actually um, a tiny little slither of Bosnia which has a coastline it's only about 12 kilometers so about eight miles or so so actually what you have to do is when you travel from Dubrovnik and you go on the bus to Sarajevo is you travel uh, into each country another two times and there's all these border crossings and, and and it feels somewhat ridiculous considering 25 years ago this was all all one country and they speak the same language um but and then just for added confusion the border guards on both sides were exactly the same uniforms <laughs> as well so and and it's, so there's all that going on but you do see that the infrastructure changes markedly when you are in bosnia there's no two ways about it not by the coast, but when you when you go inland, by the time you get to Mostar. And, and I must admit, as a little student of history and, and politics, uh, you get into Mostar, I was like, oh, crumbs. That's where the, the, the Serbs had the one side of the city and they were shelling and, 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 and there is the bridge. And like, you remembered all these things from, from the, those Yugoslav civil wars. Mm. But by the time you got to Sarajevo, you can clearly see that culturally this is different from, uh, from Croatia. There are a lot of mosques, of which I've been told the amount of mosques has increased in like fivefold since the war. That what Bosnians are doing is rediscovering uh, their difference from the other constituent 
uh, peoples that made up Yugoslavia. That the Bosnians were the people who were in the middle, totally tolerant. Yes, uh, nominally Muslim, but kind of not really. Not so much now, right? And that new loan words are uh, Turkish loan words are coming into uh, the vocabulary because they're tr- they are carving out a niche them as being being very very different. And the one shocking thing for me was. Um, the amount of buildings which still had bullet holes in them. Like, and not, we're not just talking about in the middle of town, which got a lot of shelling, run about just residential um, areas. And, and then you walk past this building, there'd be like all these holes and you say, come on, surely that's not. And they say, yep, yep, bullet holes, you know. It, and it, Sarajevo was definitely dustier and poorer and not part of the EU compared to Croatia. No two ways about it. And I was completely utterly shocked by it. But I was also entranced by Sarajevo. Um, it did remind me of a little mini Istanbul. It was, you know, it was European, but not. Um, it was familiar, but not. And I utterly enjoyed the two days that I, that I spent there in terms of just looking at the architecture, the um, the kind of racial mix of people, but but also to be somewhere which is on the cockpit of European history. Of, of course, that's where the spark of the First World War started. That it really, um, not that I needed to be reignited for me because I love travel anyway. But it really made me see and think about getting off the beaten track and not just going to your I don't know your Paris's or your New Yorks and and whatever, but actually going to going to other places, and and actually appreciating them for what they are and understanding how they've developed the way that they have and how uh, the Ottoman Empire, um, even though it, it's it's been disappeared for over a hundred years, they still play such a large cultural. Uh, has a large cultural resonance actually with this place that Sarajevo was a wonderful place and its history was written into is written into its buildings not just in terms of the architecture but also the scars of war and they kind of still are there but people were utterly lovely and it was just a fascinating place and I I can't wait to go back again so big thumbs up to uh, Bosnia and Sarajevo uh, from me so Doug I thought we'd we'd lost you at one point because you, you appeared to be frozen, but it's just because you just weren't moving. You're just transfixed <laughs> for what Emma would say, right? So, you, um, why don't you tell us how people can find you on social media, sir? You can find me on Twitter at SF Doug or on Facebook. I am uh, Doug Levy News. D o u g l e v y n e w s. How about you, Emma? I'm Emma Burnell underscore on Twitter, and you can find my website at politicalhuman.com smashing and I, I recommend anyone to go there because uh, she knows of what, what she does and what she speaks of to Zara Emma so go to Political Human and of course this is I'm Roy Ford and this is Mid-Atlantic Show no point following me on Twitter I'm just about giving up with the platform <laughs> can't be doing with the negativity uh, and I'm just rubbish at it maybe that's the reason why I say I can't be doing with the negativity uh, but it's Mid-Atlantic Show uh, why don't you go and tell a friend uh, to go and uh, download and listen to the show let's go and spread the light that is progressive politics and uh, the fact that there is a future where um, everyone 
regardless of race, color, creed, uh, can be valued for what they are and not because of uh, the amount of money that they actually have. Toodaloo, see you all again soon. Bye-bye. Where's me jumper? Where's me jumper? Where's me jumper? Where's me jumper? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.